So this evening, the uh, message that uh, God's response to human sin, and uh, we, I, I called Ron and he gave me the, the, the list of scriptures and the, I don't know how, I'm sorry, I've, we have Wednesday night service, uh, so I haven't made any of the other, other services and I appreciate all of you coming and being here this evening, so uh, I, I don't think we've gone over this um, in the other services, so if you have, we'll learn it twice. So this, mor- this morning, this morning, <laughs> this evening, we're going to look at God's response to human sin, and it talks about propitiation. Now, propitiation is one of those great big words that says um, it means because by his becoming our substitute and assuming our obligations, he exalted our, he exp- experienced our guilt. Basically, what it's saying is that Jesus, our propitiation, he took our place. He took upon himself that which we deserve. And the other one is atonement. Now, when we think about what God's, God's response to human sin is, I, I like to go back to the garden. And I know some of you are thinking, the Garden of Eden to the book of Revelation. We're going to be here all night. <laughs> so... I, I'm not long-winded. I just have long sermons. But anyhow, you're allowed to laugh. It helps me, you know. So I, I try to, I know, don't give, don't give up my day job, but I try to create a little bit of humor. God has to have a sense of humor. Look, <laughs> look around, you know. So if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> if, you, if you think that uh, you have it all figured out, well, think again. And... Uh, one of the things, though, we need to help and need to have in our mind and our hearts is, what, is God, what, is, what does God look like? I mean, what does God look like? What is his character like? And if, if we want to know the character of God, we need to look at what he has done for us. And, and when he puts all this, these words in place, this atonement and this propitiation, atonement is one of those words that you can look at it and it says, at one meant. At one meant. So it can be divided up at one, or one meant, or meant to be one. So whenever we are, have this atonement, the atonement of Christ is that God has provided a way for humankind to come back to God. Now, if we go back to the beginning, um, I always like that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. One, one translation has it, before the beginning began, there was God. So the beginning of time that we have in the scripture is the beginning of time. God existed before there was a beginning. So God is this, this super human, he's not human, this super person who knows all, is everywhere, and can do anything, and he's all around us. So God is as much here with us as he is with the people in China. And if we had somebody on Pluto, God is as much there as he is here. And it's hard for us to get this concept that God is this everywhere present at the same time. And so I can never be where God is not. I can never be where God is not. So there is no place that I can go on this planet or any other planet and be out of God's presence. So God is that concerned about us that he will never leave us. There was a plaque that read, the eyes of God are upon you, okay? And so what's your thought, what's the first thoughts that come whenever we hear the eyes of God are upon you, okay? He's up there watching, he's marking off all these little check marks, you know, we, we did all this wrong, did that wrong, no. 
God loves us so much he can't take his eyes off of us. So whenever we go back to the garden, God created the heavens and the earth, and uh, God put, you know, made a special place for, for us, for humankind. And he made Adam in his own image. And he breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. And um, then he created Eve. And she's been a pain in the side ever since. But anyhow, just kidding. <laughs> just save the tomatoes for later. Um, but created Eve to be, so that two could become one. So, you know, we, so we look at this in God then, as you look at the garden, you see God coming down with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day as friend with friend. So the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve is one of friendship. It's one of that we're together in this. And God only, God only had one commandment. He says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what that was about is God was letting them know everything that I've created, everything that I've done, this whole relationship, it's not about you, it's about me, about God. And I want you to remember who owns this place. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, Adam, Eve, I want you to know this is all yours, but you have one commandment. I still own this place. And, and I've created you to have free run of it. And also in this garden is the tree of life. Now, why Adam and Eve didn't go and get the tree of life? And, because they had no concept of death. Tree of life, they would have lived forever. But Adam and Eve went to the, went to the wrong tree, and they ate, and in the whole, you can go through that whole study of Adam and Eve there. And, and, and you know, uh, Adam, what is this? How'd you do this? Oh, it's not my fault, God. She gave it to me. And God goes to Eve and says, all right, what'd you do? He says, not my fault. That, that snake over there, he, 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 he's the one. It's his fault. You know, the blame game. So blaming has gone back <laughs> to the beginning. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is to see the relationship that God had from the very beginning. What did God intend for us to be? You and I. What was, his, what was his reason for making us? What was his reason for creating you? While you were yet in your mother's womb, he knew you. Before we were born, he, put, you know, he knew what we would be. He knew what our needs were. And while we were being formed in our mother's womb, he, it's a package deal. He put everything in there that we would need. And all the, pers the personalities and the intelligence and the giftings and all the things that are, that are very special to us in, as an individual, God has put them in there. But you know, we have to learn how to bring those things out, those giftings out. Sometimes we have to go to school. <laughs> you know, send your kids to school. Go to school, what for? Got to learn. Well, we graduate from high school, college, wherever, we're still learning. For God is still teaching us how to bring out the giftings that are still inside of us. I always believe that Christians should be the most creative people on the planet. Because the spirit of creativity that spoke the world into existence lives in us. The Holy Spirit. So he, he is inside of us and he's abiding within us. And he's trying to get us to understand that God wants to be our friend. Yes, I know he's going to be our judge, and I know that there's the commandments that we have to follow, and, you know, don't do this and don't do that. But God puts up the boundaries. Because there's guardrails on the road doesn't mean you have to go hit them. 
You know, the guardrails on the road are guide rails to keep you on the road. Well, the, the commandments God has given us, it's, it's, it's a brief way of saying these are the perimeters that you want to, you don't want to go outside of these perimeters. These are the guide rails, so stay within the guide rails and you have complete freedom. And in this complete freedom, we have this understanding that I'm going to be with you. So all along through history then, well, Adam and Eve went out of the garden. Adam and Eve, when they came out of the garden, they were clothed in animal skins. Hmm. The supposition is they had a sacrifice for their sin. God did not push them out of the garden without taking care of their broken relationship because God is in this relationship with us. So we go on through the, through the system. Adam, uh, we go down to Abraham, Abraham and Isaac. It's a, you know, Abraham is a, kind of like a, a, a parallel to what, who God is, God the Father, and Isaac, his son, is like Jesus. And we see how that uh, Abraham listens to God. He leaves Ur of the Chaldees and comes to a land that God will show him. It's a lot like us, leaving our, our former life, leaving an old life of sin, and coming to a life of relationship with Christ. Well, Adam, uh, Abraham comes and he brings his son, and this son of promise, you know, he waited all those years. She, Sarah is barren. She's 90, 90 years old. Abraham's 100, and they have a child. <laughs> okay, how many of you are ready to have a child at 90? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not going to happen, huh? It would take a miracle. Guess what? <laughs> there was one. And so Abraham is just loving his kid. You know, he's loving his child, Isaac. This is the one whom God has promised me. And along comes God and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son. You take him about three days' journey. And I'm going to tell you, put him on top of a mountain. I want you to sacrifice him there unto me. It's like, whoa. What is going on here? How can this be? I've, I've, I have the son you promised, and in him all the world is going to be blessed, and you want me to go take him up on this mountain? How can this be? And Abraham doesn't doubt a thing. He takes his knife, and for three days he takes a journey. He goes to the land of Moriah, and he goes up on a hill in this place, and he builds himself an altar, have stone and wood, and he binds his son's hands and lays them on the altar. And we know that this is, kind of, this is a prefigure of Christ. But you know, the land of Moriah is the area of Jerusalem. <laughs> and that it's not a stretch of the imagination that Abraham was going to offer Isaac in the very spot where Jesus was later crucified. So there is this picture of, of God's program. He's putting in place how this is going to happen. And he says, and of course, when Abraham goes to kill his son, he says, no, well, don't do that. Well, there's a ram over there. Offer the ram. As a, because God was testing his faith, as it were. And it isn't that, I, I think, you know, sometimes we, we mention it and we say, well, God wants to know how much faith we have. God already knows how much faith we have. We're the ones who need to know how much faith we have. We're the ones, that's why we go into our, we have these problems and whenever we pray and we ask God to help us, it's our way of expressing our faith. If we have enough faith to ask, we have enough faith. <laughs> you see, what happens is whenever we ask, we start 
questioning, well, maybe God doesn't want to do this. Maybe, you know, I haven't done enough. My scales aren't balanced here. I haven't done enough good to outweigh the bad that I've done. See, that's where grace and mercy comes in, that we have to have this understanding that the relationship that we have with God is one that he wants to establish in us like he had in the garden with Adam and Eve. That God wants to be that close to us. He wants to be in this position where we are his friend, not, not just, hey, pal, not that type of friend, but friend where we sense, you know, in the arms of my father, that's my favorite song, um, that no matter where we are at, we're always safe. I am safe in the arms of my father, and nothing can ever separate me from him. No trial, no difficulty, no setback, no question, no event can ever separate me from him. See, God is letting us know through the scriptures how that God is always present with us and nothing can ever separate us. So we are at one, atonement, we are at one with God. We are meant to be one. And God has done everything to erase that whole thing within our, within our lives that says to us, we are at one with God. And then we go, and then I like, um, it goes on. And, and when the Israel is in Egypt, and they are finishing up their 400 years. <laughs> if you want to know what 400 years are like, it hasn't, we haven't been a nation for 400 years. <laughs> 1776, and the, the, the Day of Atonement, the Day of it One with God, was in memory or in honor of they were to take a lamb and they were to take the blood of that lamb and apply it to the doorpost of their homes. So when the angel of death came, it would pass over that house. Passover. So we have this establishment of that the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we, we're seeing how that God is continuing to reveal how this at one meant with God, that we are to be one with God, how that this is to come about. And so we have the atonement, we have the um, Passover, in which the lamb's blood is put upon the doorpost of the homes. And of course, we know how that the angel of death came and the Egyptians, and they said, get them out of here, and they all go. And, and Moses, by mistake, goes to the Red Sea. <laughs> no, it wasn't by mistake. It was by God's leading. Gets to the Red Sea. Now, sometimes the difficulties that we find ourselves in, we question, why on earth would God bring us here? Well, when Moses ends up at the Red Sea, and everybody's, you know, they're fighting with him, telling him, you know, it's better for us to go back and be slaves than to die here at the Red Sea. And Moses, you know, stretches out the rod, and the rod is seas open, and they walk across on dry ground. But the important thing here is the armies of Egypt, the armies of Egypt are in full pursuit and they are so blinded in their hatred and their despising of these, of these Jewish people, they, the entire army chases them down into the Red Sea. What happens to the sin of our lives when we are forgiven? The walls of that sea, that army is just crushed by the, by the sea collapsing upon it, and 
the song is the horse and the rider are destroyed in the sea and the Egyptian army would never come after them again while they're in the desert. What God was doing at that place was not, was not only freeing them from Egypt, but eliminating their greatest enemy of trying to bring them back and capture them and constantly plague them throughout their years in, 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 in the desert and in the promised land. God totally put a stop to it. So our sins are forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, and they are totally washed away by the water of God's Word. <laughs> then we move up a little further. The tabernacle. And God is presenting the, the sacrifices and things and the, the bulls and the lambs and so on are offered as sacrifices. One, one of the greatest, one of the, I think is a, a, a great illustration is when God says, I want you to have two goats. I want you to put all the sins of the people on the two goats. Anybody ever hear of the scapegoat? That's where this comes from. Because the scapegoat of the two goats, one was slaughtered right there and burned, and the other was taken out, out into the desert so far away it could never find its way back. <laughs> the scapegoat. All of the sins of the people were removed from the company of, of Israel. And you see how that God is saying atonement. I, I want to be at one with you. And the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so we have this sacrificial system going on in the Old Testament. But the sacrificial system was about covering. But then we come to, we come to Jesus. We come to the life of, of Christ and we have his, in a lesson tonight, we have his coming with the Last Supper and with the disciples and setting down and the day of unleavened bread. This was a day prior to Passover when which the, in which the children of Israel were going to celebrate what God had done in liberating them from Egypt. The blood of the lamb, Passover. The angel of death doesn't have any claim over them. And here we have Jesus coming, and, and sometimes people say, you know, the critics say, well, you know, Jesus really didn't want to die. He was just trying to bring in a liberating policy for the, for the Jewish people and get the Romans kicked out, and he failed, and he failed at that, so therefore, he, you know, he fell into the crucifixion by mistake. <laughs> you know, that's not true at all. Jesus did not fall into the, the crucifixion. He came for that purpose. He came for the purpose of being the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world so that death would have no more hold over us and that we would be free to be at one with God. <laughs> That's what it's all about. God wants to be at one with us. You know, in, in John's gospel, I, I like John because John starts out with Jesus being divine. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they end up with Jesus being divine. John starts out with it. He says, in, uh, uh, the word was made flesh and we beheld him. This is one of my little favorite little things. The word was made flesh and we beheld him. You know, in, you ever watch uh, Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston and God? I am that I am has sent you. You know, and I always want to say, what does that mean? <laughs> What's I am mean, you know? You ever wonder that? 
Okay, maybe I was just the one. Why am? What's that mean? (laughs) I'm not going to ask that question. Not you, God. Well, did you ever, in the New Testament, we have I am the bread of life? You see? Jesus is the I am. So we put the I am, the life. (laughs) I am the gift. So, but anyhow. I am literally means to be. And the next, that to be can mean be. Okay? Be. Just the word be. I am can go to the idea of be. So, the word God, be, I am, the word be, I am, came, flesh, and John says, I held him. (laughs) I held God. I mean... (laughs) It's no wonder John lived to such an old age and, on the, and, and wrote the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos. He, he, he saw this in miraculous, this, this, the word who created all things. He saw the word who spoke the world into existence. He saw this I am of, of, of Moses and he, you know, the God of the garden who breathed life into Adam and Eve and gave them the breath of life and he says, I held him. And Atonement means there is, I am at one with God. Jesus says, I am one with the Father as I am one with you. And so he's, he's telling us, you know, what it was like in the garden when Adam and Eve and God and I were just together. We felt this kinship. We felt this oneness. We felt this unity of spirit in life. And in this place of unity and spirit in life, we lived in the garden. Well, here we are in this place of life, and we see that Jesus has come, this I am has be come, and I held him. And John is saying, you know, we look at, at, the, at the Last Supper here, and John lays his head upon the shoulder of Jesus. You know, you know, you, one of us laid our heads on another man's shoulder. We say, what's wrong with him? <laughs> you know, what kind of a guy is this, you know? And, but John didn't think it's strange to be in that place of relationship. He didn't think of it to be in that place of friendship and kinship with Jesus. And, you know, he, he didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew that he was in a safe place when he was with Jesus. And in, in our lives, I am safe in the arms of my Father because I am at one with God. <laughs> and in the scriptures, it says, when it was time, he sat down with all the apostles with him and said, you've no idea how much I've looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. <laughs> I mean, the cross is waiting for Jesus. You know, the betrayal, the garden, and all that beatings and all that other stuff. And he's saying, you know, guys, I just couldn't wait for this time to come in which I could sit down and be with you. That's not me. <laughs> I'd be there, oh my gosh, just, I'm going to have the cross, I'm going to have them beating, everybody's not going to like me. You know, all that kind of stuff. We're all worried and sweating about what's going to happen. Jesus says, you have no idea how much I've looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you this time in which I can share with you 
my body and my blood. This is like, for, for the disciples, okay, you know, it's Passover. But they never understood until later. But they were in this very sacred place. This very special time in which this is what I think was like for Jesus in the garden with the Father, in the garden with Adam and Eve. They were in this place of, I could, I would, you know, Adam, I, would, I looked forward to being here with you. I just wanted to come and I wanted to be here with you and walk with you through the garden. I just wanted this time. And, and we look at our lives. You see, the difference between where we live and where it was at in the Old Testament, the blood of Christ shed upon the cross is the removal of sin. In the Old Testament, it was a covering for sin. And whenever Jesus died on the cross and went, descended into hell and led captivity captive, who's captivity captive? Who are these people? Those are the people of the Old Testament that were covered by the blood, but the, their sins were not totally removed because the blood of Jesus Christ went backward in time and redeemed all those in the past where their faith was in God, and he went forward in time to us and to all who would believe and that their sins would be removed from them. And so here we are at this place of atonement at one meant with God in which God says to us and he says to each of us, Let's just sit together for a while and let's think about this. I'm your friend. You can ask me anything. Nothing is too difficult for me. Nothing is beyond my abilities. And that whatever happens in your life, you may not understand, but that's okay. You're always safe because nothing can ever separate you from me, life nor death principalities nor powers, things present, things past, heaven, hell, future, past, nothing can ever come between us. So in this place of safety, in this place of security, I am here in all of my discord and trouble and my mind wanders and everything goes wrong and it's right there that I come back to. God is walking with me and this is my garden and I realize he owns this place because I gave it to him. I gave it to him. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I belong to him. And in this place of relationship, I find he comes to me and says, David, all things are going to work together for good because you love me. Well, what about this? What? No whatabouts. <laughs> David, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who gives me strength. I can't because God's strength is inside of us and with us. I can trust when I don't understand. I can, I can hope when it seems like things are hopeless because I don't have to look at what is to know what really is. And you know, whenever, whenever it talks about the hope that we have in God, now, often, you know, the blessed hope, the return of Jesus Christ, the going to heaven, the hope of, I hope when I die I go to heaven, you know, that kind of, that, the hope that, that is not 
uh, wishful thinking. I hope it doesn't snow this week, you know. Hope, that's a wish. The hope that is mentioned in Scripture is a definite point in time in the future that we haven't arrived at yet. There is an event in the future that is coming and that we just haven't got there yet. So there is a day in which... Paul says, the trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. That's the hope that's out there. That is an event that hasn't transpired yet. <laughs> and we say, well, you know, he hasn't been for 2,000 years. Well, you know, back 2,500 years ago, they were talking about Jesus, the birth of the Messiah coming, and, but he hasn't come yet. We've heard all these things before, but he came. <laughs> and inside of us, whether we live to that point or whether we go home before then we never have to worry because i am at one with god he is at one with me god isn't looking out god isn't looking at us trying to find our faults god is looking at us and how can he bless our lives in order that we can continue to grow in order that we can continue to develop, in order that we continue to become and to realize this oneness that i have with god and he has with me it doesn't mean that I can jump over the pews and stop trains with, you know, tra- you know Superman faster than the speeding bullet. I, don't, I forgot the rest. But anyhow, you can send me a letter on that. Okay. <laughs> but we got the picture that this is what God has done. God's response to human sin, God's response to human sin is forgiveness. <laughs> God's response to our failures is strength. God's response to our inadequacies is love. God's response to all of my faults and my failures and my giving up and my falling down is, you'll give me strength. Because he's not trying to kick us out, he's trying to bring us in. Because he knows what we are like and what we need in our lives and he wants to be in this relationship. And he said, Hey, David, friend, you know, and I'm saying, God, you really love me? He says, well, of course. And that each of us have that very special place. I am God's most, I'm God's favorite child, but so are you. (laughs) My mom, when she died at the funeral, I think we have, what, 12, 14, she had 12, 14 grandkids, And every one of them got up to say something. At the end, they all said, and I was grandma's favorite. (laughs) Because my mom made every one of them feel like they were her favorite. And whenever we look at our life, God is telling us, you're my favorite. I can't take my eyes off of you. I have a special place for you up here with me, but you know, you're not ready yet or you'd be here. So I want you to keep going. I want to know I'll give you the strength you need. I'll give you the wisdom you need. I'll give you the help you need. I'll give you whatever you need. Just continue to be open and allow me to touch your life. Is that a pretty simple thing? (laughs) And that's too simple, right? But it isn't too simple. It's just the way the truth is. God loves us and his response, that's why he tells us to love one another. Father, forgive us our sins. Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because we are reflective of of what we receive. So I have received from God, so therefore I give to others. My, My life is not about hoarding. My life is about giving. 
And it isn't what I've got, it's what I can give. And you see, we each can give a smile, we can give a handshake, we can welcome, we can, whatever the need is. And you see, I always say, forgiveness is not an option. Because what forgiveness does is set us free from the things that would continue to hold us back. It's like the Egyptian army in the sea. It's just squashed, never to come up against us again. And that's our sins. They're gone. And it's funny, one of this, you know, there's, God cast our sins into the deepest sea, and there's a big sign out there that says, no fishing. You can't go back and get them. They're gone. Amen? So God's response to, to our failures is Jesus Christ. And that he, he, has come. John says, I held. B came and I held him. And that's, I think, what God wants us to do. To hold him. And he will hold us. Shall we stand? <coughs> Amen. <laughs> Father, we thank you we thank you, Lord, for your blessings on our life and for the reality of knowing you as our Savior. And the blessed hope that we have in our life is as simple as our confession of faith. God, you forgive us. You restore us. You bring us into that place of at one with you. So bless this day and continue to bless our lives and our families and our congregations. God, we know you have great things, very special things in store for each of us. Continue to open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to you and your blessing and your word and your spirit. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. And everybody said, Amen.